I'm Edward October. You know, a story doesn't need to be scary to be horror. Many of my favorite horror stories, many of the best horror stories, don't actually frighten me. I prefer horror that is evocative of a uniquely dark mood. Horror which produces a sense of lasting dread or foreboding. Fear is fleeting. I prefer to be haunted. That's why at OctoberPod we endeavor to haunt your headphones pleasantly. Twice each month, we'll tell you a grim bedtime story or create a mood of dread and foreboding to make your comfortable seat by the fire all the more cozy. <laughs> New videos drop on our YouTube channel, OctoberPod Home Video, on the first and third Tuesday of each month, and our companion podcast, OctoberPod AM, drops curated compilations of our favorite stories on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month, wherever you listen to podcasts. Find all our links at OctoberPodVHS.com. Why don't you join us? For horror stories of impeccable taste, choose OctoberPod, retro horror, for bold individualists. Welcome, my loves, to Poisonous Affairs. I'll be discussing the sordid details of some of the most talked-about scandals that rocked the 17th century French and English courts. It's all about lust, power, greed, and murder. <laughs> Before we get to the juicy, juicy details, I just want to go a little bit through who, let's say, some of the main characters are in this sordid, sordid story. Um, so we're going to start off with, of course, King Louis XIV of France. Who was he? And let's look at the many, many women that he, well, fell in love with. Buckle up because I'm about to inundate you with a whole bunch of dates, names, places, and a whole bunch of situations. <laughs> or should I say situationships? So King Louis XIV was King of France and Navarre, and he was born in 1638. So he was acclaimed as Louis the God-given. Uh, he arrived after 23 long years of waiting for an heir. He was born in Saint-Germain-en-Laye in 1638, and he took the throne at the age of four, following the death of his father, King Louis XIII. So the young monarch received a thorough education from his mother, Anne of Austria, and his godfather, Cardinal Mazarin. Now, for many of you, you might not know, but Cardinal Mazarin um, succeeded Cardinal Richelieu. Um, we're not going to really get into the details of those two, but yeah, no comments. So Louis XIV's reign is often referred to as Le Grand Siècle, or the Great Century. And it's forever associated with the image of an absolute monarch and a strong centralized state. Many people know him as the Sun King. So I might refer to him as the Sun King or Louis XIV or just Louis. Don't get too confused. By the way, there's many Louis. <laughs> there are many Louis um, in, in, in these stories that I'll be talking about. But I'll either refer to the king as the king, King Louis XIV yeah, or the Sun King. 
So you're probably wondering at this point, how long did Louis XIV reign? And his he, he ruled basically for 72 long fucking years. Oh, by the way, I should have said listeners, listeners' discretion is advised because, as always, I have a potty mouth. But anyway, so just four days before his 77th birthday, Louis XIV died um, in Versailles just after 8.15 on the 1st of September. He had been king for 72 years, and that is the longest reign in the history of France. So now... You're thinking, well, what happened in those 72 long fucking years? Let's just say that King Louis was quite the voracious. <laughs> he loved many, many women. He fathered over 10 children with his many mistresses, had a brief affair with his sister-in-law, and secretly married his last mistress after his wife and cousin on both sides, Marie-Thérèse of Spain, died. <laughs> Jeez, that was a lot, wasn't it? Now, obviously, there were other things that happened during 72 years, but these are the most interesting parts of his <laughs> of his reign, I guess. It's just it's the good stuff. It's the juicy stuff. It's the sordid things that we're interested in, not the military campaigns and all this bullshit and shenanigans. So Louis XIV's love of women is well known. Throughout his life, he had a number of mistresses, including the Marquise de Montespan, who was involved in a scandal that rocked the French court, and the Duchess of La Vallière, both of whom bore him several legitimate children. Now, he legitimized them afterwards, but we're not going to get into that. So, Louis XIV had a real eye for the ladies. His first love was Marie Mancini, and she was Cardinal Mazarin's niece. But both the Cardinal and Anne of Austria, his mother, the mother of King Louis, um, were opposed to this union. And the brief encounter between the king and the princess on the 22nd of June 1659 was their last before she was banished from the court um, and into exile. So the king agreed to marry his cousin on both sides, the Spanish Infanta Marie Therese of Austria, on the 9th of June 1660. So Louis uh, Louis XIV's first official mistress was Louise de la Vallière, and she lived at court from 1661 to 1674. She bore the king four children, two of whom survived and were legitimized. Um, one was known as Mademoiselle de Blois and Louis Count of Vermandois. God, these names, I'm butchering them. Oh, my, my, my. <clears throat> if my cousin listens to this, she's going to be like, why can you not speak French? You are half French. What is wrong with you? I digress. Anyway, <laughs> so the next official mistress um, was the Marquise de Montespan, um, and she was the next to succumb to the royal charm. I'm not too sure if she succumbed to royal charm, but she definitely wanted to be elevated, obviously. To become the king's official mistress was a very coveted position because it meant that you got titles um, if you had children. Sometimes they were recognized, sometimes they were not. Most times they were, <laughs> and they were given titles as well. They were given land, they were given money. So it was a very coveted position. 
So let's take a look at the first official mistress of Louis XIV, uh, Louise de la Valliere. She met Louis XIV in 1661 when she was just 17 years old, and she became his first official favorite. She was to remain at court for more than 10 years, and she entered a convent in 1674. Now, compared to all his other mistresses, especially uh, Madame de Montespan or la, Mar la Marquise de Montespan, um, Louise de la Valia was a very humble woman. She wasn't looking to kind of, how would you say it? She wasn't into, oh, give me land and give me money and give me this. She, she was very humble. She kind of felt really bad about being his official mistress. It's something that plagued her for, for all her life. She was a bit ashamed, should I say? Like, yeah, she was a bit ashamed of being the king's mistress, but we'll get into that. So Louise de la Valliere was born in 1644 and came to the French court in 1661 as a maid of honor to uh, Henrietta of England, who was the king's sister-in-law because she was married to the king's brother. <laughs> that's another whole... I'm going to get into that in another episode. That's, that's, that's some family affair right there. So Louis XIV pretended to court Louise to mask his affair with his sister-in-law. Louise soon won him over, however, with her blonde hair and charming smile. She was humble and modest, an accomplished horse rider, and had a strong liking for music. Uh, Louis made her his mistress, even though he was already married to Marie-Thérèse of Spain. So Versailles, which was Louis XIII's simple hunting lodge at the time, served as the retreat for the lovers. So after Anne of Austria's death in 1666, so Anne of Austria was King Louis XIV's mother, Louise de la Valliere um, became his new favorite. He recognized their two children, Mademoiselle de Blois and the Count of Vermandois, and gave Louise the title of Duchess um, of Vaujour and la Valliere. God, that's so many names. He just made her Duchess. He legitimized their two children. So ashamed of being a mistress, being a mother, being a duchess, uh, Louise de la Valliere suffered from the exposure of her adultery. She was the most selfless of the royal mistresses, never asking for anything for herself. She was somewhat eclipsed by Madame de Montespan from 1668 and wanted to withdraw to a convent, but Louis the king kept her at court. After many years of forced cohabitation, Louise was finally allowed to leave the court, and she uh, entered the Camelite convent on Rue Saint-Jacques in 1674, after publicly asking the queen for forgiveness. She took the name Sister Louise of Mercy and kept her distance from her children, living a penitent's life until her death in 1710. Louis XIV was said to be unaffected by her death, saying she had died in his eyes the day she entered the convent. Y'all, he can go fuck himself, seriously. Like, what is that? But anyway, <laughs> it's like he was no longer interested in his toy. He got himself sh other shiny toys and he was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, you decided to become a nun so you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> what a dick. But I digress. Even though, what, what, what are we expecting from this guy? So let's move on to Madame de Montespan or the Marquise de Montespan. She was one of the king's longest um, official mistresses. And she held significant power, not only over him, but over the court. But again, like I said, she was also involved in a scandal, which we will get into in episode two. 
Before becoming the official mistress of Louis XIV in 1667, the Marquise de Montespan succeeded in making her way to the court thanks to the good graces of Anne of Austria. A woman of outstanding beauty, she was much feared by her fellow courtiers on account of the famous Montmartre wit, for which her family was renowned, and held great sway over the royal court. She was a passionate lover of the arts. She enjoyed the king's protection and a grand apartment near, his, um, near to his own until she was superseded by Montaignan in around 1680. Now, Montaignan was the last of the official mistresses of the king whom he married secretly after his queen passed away. I know it gets a little bit confusing. What can I say? I, I don't even know how everyone's going to remember these names, but here we go. <laughs> so Madame de Montespan was a member of the Queen's household, um, and she first met the King in the early 1660s, but it seems that it wasn't until around 1666, 1667, that Louis XIV fell under her spell. Uh, in 1674, she definitely ousted Madame de la Vallière, and... Madame de Montespan became the king's official mistress. So she set up an apartment adjoining his own, complete with a private entrance. My, my. They had seven children together, and they entrusted their education to the widow of poet Paul Scarron, the future Madame de Montaignon. So six of these children were legitima uh, legitimated by the king from 1673 onwards. So the Marquise de Montespan soon came to play a prominent role in life at the palace. Her social circle became the epicenter of the court, its pleasures and its fortunes, a source of both hope and terror for ministers and generals. As Saint-Simon put it in his memoirs, so a great lover of both luxury and the arts, she covered her walls with paintings. So you can see that there is a complete difference between this mistress, de, de Montespan, and his previous mistress, who was very humble and never asked for anything. She transformed her apartments into the court's witty heart. She afforded her protection to illustrious artists such as Molière. So after many years in the spotlight, the Marquise struggled to maintain the upper hand over her rivals and ultimately alienated the king with her unpredictable temper. So Louis XIV gradually excluded her from his private chambers and from life at court. And also, like I mentioned, the Marquise was caught up in a very a scandalous affair of the poisons. And, um, and she was neglected by the king. So she finally retired from court in 1691 and moved to the convent of Saint-Joseph in Paris. Madame de Montespan died in 1707. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the young Marie Angelique, um, who happened to be one of many mistresses of Louis XIV. And the reason why I want to talk about her is because she passed away during a, during a scandal called the Affaire des Poisons, which, as I mentioned, we'll get into in the next episode. But uh, Marie Angelique was a French noblewoman, and um, she caught the king's attention and began an affair with him in 1679. She died two years later, and she wasn't even 20 years old. 
Um, she was born in 1661 and came from a very old aristocratic family. Her father was a count and also the king's lieutenant. Now, her family realized that her beauty was a great asset, <laughs> and they raised enough money to send her to court with the aim of restoring the family fortune. As I mentioned before, you wanted to catch the king's attention and become one of his mistresses because that means that your family was favored. They gave you titles. They gave you lands. They gave you money. Maria arrived at the court of Louis XIV in 1678. At the time, Louis had appeared to be losing interest in his longtime established mistress, his favori, his favorite, the Marquise de Montespan. And he started to turn to the governess of their children, Madame de Montaignan, who later became the king's second wife. So, infatuated by the beauty of Marie-Angélique, um, the king suddenly abandoned the other two women because, you know, <laughs> you're king and that's what you used to do. And this is what was said about Marie-Angélique. Despite her physical charms, it was said by the court that Marie-Angélique was as stupid as a basket. Oh my. The Duchess of Orléans wrote, She is a stupid little creature, but she has a very good heart. But described her lovely as an angel from head to foot. Louis XIV, however, suddenly felt young again. He wore diamonds and ribbons and feathers and presented Marie-Angélique with a pearl-gray carriage with eight horses, because that's what she needed back then. It soon appeared that Marie-Angélique was pregnant, which, let's be honest, angered Madame Montespan, his longtime uh, mistress, um, who thought that their affair was a passing fancy, easily controlled and easily disposed of. She said to the Marquise de Montaignan, who was also who also caught the eye of the king, that the king had three mistresses, herself in name, this girl in bed, and Montaignan in his heart. So we're basically having this conversation. Two, two mistresses are having this conversation about the third mistress. And I'm just like, wow, this is, this is, this is hot. <laughs> so in January 1680, Marie-Angélique gave uh, birth to a premature stillborn boy and was said to have been wounded in the service of the king. In April, Louis granted her the title of Duchess of Fontange and a pension of 80,000 livres as was his usual habit of ending love affairs. Unwell after the birth, Marie-Angélique retired to the Abbey of Chelles. So in 1681, Marie suffered a high fever and was sent to another abbey by the name of Pont-Royal, where, according to some sources, she gave birth prematurely to another stillborn girl in March. Realizing she was going to die, she asked to see the king, who, touched by her suffering, wept while at her deathbed. Fontange, or Marie-Angélique, is reported to have said, Having, having seen, seen tears in the eyes, eyes of my king, king I, I can, can die, die happy. Meanwhile, this was bullshit. The story was deemed untrue by many at Versailles because according to them, the king had, in fact, already forgotten her because let's not forget that the king is a cunt. The Duchess died on the night of 28th of June, 1681, and she was not yet 20 years old. Now, the king expressed the wish that there be no autopsy. However, at the request of her family, one was performed. The doctors found that her lungs were in an appalling condition, with the right one in particular being full of purulent matter, while her chest was flooded with fluid. 
All six doctors concurred that death was that the death was due to natural causes. Now, there were rumors circulating around court that Marie-Angélique might have died of poisoning. So uh, there was a historian by the name of Antonia Fraser who suggests that Marie-Angélique died from a pleurobe pneumonia induced by tuberculosis. In view of the fact that she was known to have suffered from a persistent loss of blood after her miscarriage, another doctor suggested that when she lost her baby, a fragment of the placenta lodged in her uterus. There's also an alternative suggest- suggestion that she was killed by a rare form of cancer, which occasionally develops after a cyst on the placenta is expelled during pregnancy. The probability is that she died from complications arising from her early miscarriage or miscarriages. There's not too sure if there was just the one or both. So at court, as I mentioned, several courtiers wrote about the ju- Duchess's death. Now, according to Ernest Lavis and Bernard Noel, two miscarriages caused her to lose favor with the king. The Duchess of Orléans claimed that it was certain the Duchess was poisoned by none other than Madame de Montespan, the king's favori, um, and suspected that the poison was administered uh, in her milk. So despite the medical findings, rumors persisted that the Duchess of Fontange died from poisoning, when in reality it could either be that she died from complications due to her miscarriages or that she died, um, as Antonia Fraser pointed out, by a pleuro-pneumonia induced by tuberculosis. We don't know. All I can say is that that was a hot mess. <laughs> I mean, all mistresses knew of each other. The queen knew of the king's mistresses. The king was spreading his love left, right, and center. He was quite promiscuous. He was giving out favors everywhere. I'm telling you, when his first queen died, she was like, I want peace in my life. Enough of this. Fuck you all and good night. <laughs> But let me know what you think of this whole <laughs> this whole first episode. I know it was quite confusing with all the names, the dates. That is history, my friends. But it's quite intriguing. Don't forget to follow Beauty Unlocked on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. I'll add the links to the show notes. And tune in on Friday for the next installment of Poisonous Affairs. The next episode is where we'll dive headfirst into the scandal of all scandals, l'affaire des poisons. <laughs>